This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, November 7th, 2007. I'm Caleb Brown. Presidential candidate and U.S. Senator Hillary Clinton has outlined her energy plan, much of it tied to reducing carbon emissions. That includes billions of dollars in subsidies for every run from energy companies to automakers to consumers. Cato Institute senior fellow Jerry Taylor says some of the senator's plans may work against the goal of reducing carbon emissions. My overall impression is that Hillary Clinton's energy policies would increase the cost of automobiles, uh, automotive fuel, and electricity as a means of reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Now, you can make an argument for doing that, but you can't make an argument that that these sorts of policies will be free. Uh, But Hillary Clinton is essentially suggesting that her energy plan is a grand free lunch. Everybody wins. Jobs are created. The economy is made better. People make money. The environment improves. Nobody's a loser except some guy who's a CEO of a big fossil fuel company. That's just intellectually disingenuous. I mean, if there's merit to these policies, they ought to be discussed honestly uh, with some sort of uh, with something short of intellectual fraud. But that's not what we're doing here. We're trying to pretend that we can gain benefits uh, without incurring any costs and that everybody wins. And I just think that's intellectually dishonest. Among the specific ideas that she's rolled out, a cap-and-trade auction system for polluters, what are the merits of that idea? Well, there's a, grand, there's a great deal of, uh, of who and ha about whether we ought to embrace cap-and-trade or carbon taxes if we're going to do something about greenhouse gas emissions. Most of I think that conversation is misguided. You can write a cap-and-trade program in such a way that is effectively a carbon tax, and vice versa. You can set up a carbon tax program that essentially works out like a, work, plays out like a cap-and-trade program. So the two are, are theoretically indistinguishable depending upon how you write it all up. The, the more interesting thing to me is the fact that if you survey the economics literature, you'll find there is a consensus in that literature that the social costs associated with greenhouse gas emissions work out to about $2 per metric ton. Uh, Question, would Hillary Clinton's cap and trade program impose cleanup costs that are less than, equal to, or greater than $2 a ton? Almost certainly greater. Uh, And if it does that, it means that there will be more costs than benefits associated with her policy. And the literature has something else to say about this, too, that the first generation to gain net benefits from Hillary Clinton's cap-and-trade program won't be born until somewhere around the early 24th century. I'm not entirely sure that makes a lot of uh, policy sense today. There are two specific subsidies that she has built into uh, her plan. One is to invest $2 billion in research and development to improve battery technology. Uh, Another offers consumers tax credits of up to $10,000 for purchasing a plug-in hybrid. She also has, I think, $20 billion in bonds to uh, automakers for uh, adjusting the, the kinds of vehicles they're putting on the market. Well, let's work through these one at a time. Providing additional federal R&D to develop batteries is like increasing the bounty on bin Laden's head by 50 bucks. I mean, the bottom line is there's a tremendous profit incentive to, do, to develop uh, uh, advanced battery technology. The first person who is able to do this in an economic way to allow us to use electricity to move cars, for example, with a good battery is going to be a billionaire several times over. So throwing a couple million dollars towards that end is just a policy gesture. The government doesn't need to do anything to encourage R&D here. There are natural market incentives to do that. As far as a tax incentive to buy hybrid powered or plug in uh, plug in hybrid powered cars, uh, it'd be easier to have a conversation about the merits of that if there were such thing as hybrid powered plug in cars. There aren't any such thing. They haven't been invented. They are not marketed. They're not available on the marketplace. This is like having a tax incentive to buy uh, uh, Tayloronium, which would drive our cars at two cents a gallon uh, and, and would get you 400 miles per gallon. 
Uh, that's a nice thought. They don't exist yet. When they exist, we can have a conversation. But it's it's a tax incentive for a non-existent product. That's it's hard to have a conver- an intelligent conversation about that anyway. Providing bonds to the auto industry to allow them to reduce their manufacturing costs in 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 the real world is called corporate welfare, and I don't support it. Uh, I don't believe in mandating fuel efficiency standards on car companies, uh, granted, but I don't believe we should be underwriting manufacturing, production, or R&D costs on the part of these companies either. Uh, so uh, one would think that the, the Democratic Party would be inclined to agree that corporate welfare should be ruled out of order, particularly while we've got a budget deficit, but apparently that's not true. One of Senator Clinton's biggest proposals is to dramatically increase the production of ethanol and biofuels by 60 billion gallons by 2030 and put pressure on oil companies to invest in the developmental alternative fuels? Well, again, with gasoline and fossil fuel prices as high as they are, it's hard to argue that absent government incentives to produce non-fossil fuels, nobody would be in the slightest bit interested in such a project. I mean, we know that's not true. There are billions of dollars flowing into the alternative fuels market today, and not just from the conventional players in the energy industry, but also from people like Bill Gates, Richard Branson, and other dilettantes in the energy market who are throwing billions of dollars earned in other markets into this market. So there's really no need for the government to promote these uh, investments. Those investments are incurring in dodges now at a great pace and at great speed. As far as the biofuels component of Hillary Clinton's plan, with the irony here is the extent to which we promote biofuels given current technologies, we will make greenhouse gas emissions larger than they would be otherwise uh, absent the mandate in the first place. The main reason for that is that ethanol, which is the main way we produce biofuels in this country, ethanol from corn, creates more greenhouse gas emissions than gasoline at the margin. The reason for that is the only way to expand ethanol production to meet future demands in the 2005 Energy Policy Act and in Hillary Clinton's plan is to grow more corn. Well, we're already using as much land in Iowa as we, for the most part, can to grow corn. So growing more corn for the ethanol business means growing corn not in Iowa or Nebraska, but generally in places like Georgia. Uh, In Georgia, it requires a tremendously large amount of energy inputs to make Corn ethanol requires a tremendous amount of irrigation, fertilizers, and those sorts of things. And that means a lot of fossil fuels. In fact, 87% or so, if not more, of the energy that you get when you burn ethanol in your tank doesn't come from the kernel of corn associated with making ethanol. It comes from coal or natural gas. It's just a way of using fossil fuels to basically run your car after washing them through the soil and throwing some sunshine and water onto it. So what Hillary Clinton's plan really is, if we're talking about corn ethanol here anyway, is a means of substituting uh, coal and natural gas for gasoline and for oil. And it turns out that the greenhouse gas emissions associated with coal is, are greater than they are for oil. So her plan to promote biofuels, if those biofuels come out of corn ethanol, would almost certainly make greenhouse gas emissions larger, not smaller. Jerry Taylor is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. This is the Cato Daily Podcast. Take a moment to visit the revamped Cato website, now up at cato.org.